Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, host of Generation Bold, The Fountain of Truth. Did you ever wonder how so many people have the time and know how to make podcasts and get their point of view across, make money, become influencers? Well, it's simple. They use Anchor. I've been a broadcaster for decades, but was clueless until I discovered the easiest way to make a podcast, and it's Anchor. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free. Yes, you heard that right, for free. You can use Anchor right at your phone or your computer to record edit your podcast, it will sound great, and then they will distribute it everywhere, and I mean everywhere. This includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, you can fulfill your dreams, and you can be heard. Here's all you have to do. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's all there is. Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, 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 this is Adrian Berg, and we have a terrific show today on Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, because we have somebody who's really going to be telling us the truth, Dr. Lois Aronson. She's the author of several books, A History of the Present Illness. She's a geriatrician. She's an educator. She's a professor of medicine at the University of California at San Francisco. But her latest book, just hot off the presses, is called Elderhood. And you won't be surprised that I jumped on it immediately. My only regret is that I didn't get to write it because this is the book that really could change our attitudes and our thinking about aging. So I thank you so much for writing it to begin with, Dr. Aronson. But, but let's, let's jump into that. Well, you are a geriatrician, but what were some of your personal motivations in writing a book like Elderhood? Um, well, it's a pleasure to be here first, um, and my motivations um, were in part, uh, you know, looking, spending 25 years as I have done taking care of older patients and seeing that so often the system is actually working against them, not for them, or just ignoring them altogether. And then as my parents aged and I began to age I understood how that process began, and I also started seeing how the pieces come together so that what happens to people in healthcare is kind of a metaphor or, or just a case study in what happens to us in society as we get older. And I realized that 
the only way to really change how we think and feel about aging was to pull all those pieces together to show how the history of old age and the science of old age and what actually happens to us as individuals living today are all interconnected and that there are ways that we make decisions that are actually self-defeating to our hopes of, of a good old age. Um, so I just got excited. I've also trained as a writer as well as a geriatrician. So for me personally, this was a lovely way of pulling together two of my great passions. Yep, and, it, and it's a wonderful book. It's called Elderhood. You'll be able to get it on Amazon and everywhere. And you, go, this is the book that I hope that when you go traveling, guys who are listening, you see it in the uh, in Hudson News in the airport. I, this is the kind of book that I hope is everywhere. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we talk about stamping out ageism. And I always say it is one of the few prejudices that we hold against ourselves. It's, we are very prejudiced about aging, even though we are the ones who are older. So let, let's take a look at that, um, uh, Dr. Aronson. From that point of view and from how you express it in elderhood, uh, you do look at people's real-life stories and their attitudes as well as the lens of your experience. And you see that in many cases we don't want to deal with our aging, and that makes problems. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yes, absolutely, because that happens in so many ways. Um, so one of the stories I like to tell is, um, this was a few years ago, but I had two patients, two women in their mid-80s, um, who were both doing really well. And then they both had strokes, um, which meant that they could no longer walk as well as they had previously and needed a walker or a wheelchair, depending on where they were going. So I was seeing them both in the space of a week, and I saw the first one, and she was just crushed. You know, she she wasn't going out anymore. You know, she she hadn't really done her hair properly. You know, she had help at home. She had a decent situation, but she sort of said, my life is over. Um, and and from there, you know, she became depressed. She became socially isolated. And I'll just say that social isolation as we get older is as bad for our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And she yep. just stopped living. So I got a call um, the next day, actually, from the other one, and she was, wanted to reschedule. Um, so I thought, oh, I better call her because maybe she's in the same condition. And I called, and she said, oh, no, 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 no. It's just that I'm going to the movies, and we haven't figured out how to deal with the wheelchair yet. So my friend Jean is picking me up, and I just think it'll take too long, and I, can't, I don't think I can do both in the same day. So can I see you next week? And she kept living, and they really had the exact same problem at the same moment. But this person was going out with her friend. And in fact, what she told me the next week was that it was actually great going to the movies because people were so nice and polite. You know, the, the crowds parted. She got a nice seat. Um, and so she had a great time. And that's, you know, an extreme example of what happens all the time. You know, do we just focus on lamenting what is lost, because I won't deny that there are some things that, that are lost. But I'll also say that sometimes it's our frame. Is it lost or is it changed? I mean, there are things we do at 15 that we no longer do at 35, things we do at 35 that we no longer do at 55. But vice versa is true, too. There are things we can do at 35 that we could not do at 15. And things, you know, that now at 55, I can do and think about that I couldn't do then. So a lot of it has to do with really adapting and understanding that change isn't inherently bad. We have, 
we have control over it to the extent that we say, okay, I still like doing this, so I'm going to do it a little differently, and that'll enable me to keep doing it. Now, this is really also comes back to health because there's a lot of research showing that internalized ageism is really bad for health. It increases the Alzheimer's disease markers in our in our spinal fluid. It increases your risk of dying from heart disease maybe seven years earlier. Uh, it decreases your recovery after a hospital stay, whatever the hospital stay was. So it is bad for us in ways that are sort of the small intimate, like we, we stop seeing friends or we say, I can't do that anymore because I have to do it differently. But it also makes you the sort of um, sicker, more frail, older person that you didn't want to become. And you know what happens? We, we often say about uh, cancer or other devastating diseases, real diseases. Right. Aging is not a disease, although it was once listed right. as a disease by the FDA, mm-hmm. um, that you are not your disease. Well, you're not your age. You're not your condition. You are uh, an intact person who happens to be have a certain birthday, which is becoming less and less important. It's not so much mm-hmm. we talk about how old you are, but your hail health health adjusted life expectancy. And um, you know, you mentioned that um, not having friends or being isolated is like smoking many packs of cigarettes a day. On the positive side, if you have six friends or so, you can live two and a half years longer. Those, those are other wonderful studies. So get out there. Now, I, I want to, and, and I said to you before we, we actually got on the air together, Dr. Aronson, um, I'm fascinated by the title of the book. And I'll tell you why. The name of the book is Elderhood. This is a very difficult part of this field, the field of successful aging, and that's the use of language. By the way, Dr. Aronson, don't hold this against her, but she's a graduate of the Harvard Medical School and an MFA program for writers at uh, Warren Wilson College. So this is somebody who deals with words uh, on a very intellectual basis. And we have a problem. We don't know if we're baby boomers, if we're older, if we're elders, if we're sagers. I mean, every day the marketers come out with a new word for us. And uh, you use a word that uh, – here's my reaction to the word, all right? I think it's stately. Mm -hmm. To me, this word is stately. And I like that. It makes me feel a little bit taller. I'm not so tall to begin with, and I'm getting shorter. But <laughs> I feel, oh, I'm el- elderhood. You know, uh-huh. it's like a combination of being a knighted and Robin Hood. I like it. But where mm-hmm. did you come up with this? Is it, is it something generally that you saw and thought was a good idea? Uh, and uh, and yeah. did you struggle with that? I I struggled in the sense that at first I thought of doing oldhood because the word old has such bad connotations. I wanted to kind of reform it because if we shun that word, if we say, no, I'm not old yet, I I give talks to huge audiences often and I'll sometimes have people say, like, when does old begin? And people will raise their hands at all different ages. But often people will, you know, not raise their hands until I get to 90 or 100 um, right. But the fact is, through hu- throughout human history and across cultures, old has generally been identified as beginning between 60 and 70. And that doesn't matter whether you're healthy or sick, you know, hale or frail. It just doesn't matter. It's if somebody looks at you walking down the street, you know, where are you in life? Are you, you know, in childhood is generally, you know, the first 20 years, then adulthood lasts 30 to 40 years, and then everything thereafter, which can be up to 40 or 50 years these days. Um, you're considered old. So 
So first I was going to go with old hood. Um, but some wise reader of the New York Times where I had published an article using that term sent me a lovely note and said, um, you know, it doesn't really work because if you're calling it that to, to to identify the third phase of life after childhood and adulthood, well, if you have childhood, you have child. If you have adulthood, you have adult. If you have oldhood, you have old. No. So then I realized elder was better. And of course, you know, elder is better in part because of our prejudices. The word old tends to have negative associations and the word elder tends to have positive ones. Um, so we're going to take so, a bit so of, a, of a break nice. now. This is, this, yeah, this is, it is nice. I like it very much. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to come back. And we're going to talk about kind of the flip side of this. And that is the fact that although we tend to have these prejudices, we're actually happier. We'll talk a lot more about that and see if you guys agree. I agree. Don't you go anywhere. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, still the only syndicated show and podcast on successful aging we have here in the U.S., as if there aren't enough of us. We are the fastest-growing demographic, people over the age of 85 and 100. You'll hear a little bit more about that from our guest in a couple of minutes. Her name is Dr. Louise Aronson. She is the author of the Hot Off the Presses book, Elderhood, You'll be able to get it yeah, certainly on uh, on Amazon, all the online bookstores, but go ahead to your own bookstore. Your libraries demand it. It's a book that you're going to have to read. She's not only a geriatrician, a graduate of Harvard Medical School. She has, uh, for, for a quarter of a, of a century, has been working with uh, elders, and she's written this wonderful book, Elderhood, not her first book. But one of the things that, that we stopped in the last segment was discussing why it's called elderhood and what the age group is that have been considered old or elders. And I wanted to mention to everyone that I am doing a separate podcast, uh, which is going to be disseminated to everybody who goes to our website, generationboldradio.com, and signs up. It's absolutely free, and they will get in their email my podcast on the new law. It is called Secure. It is the most far-reaching legislative change in retirement, taxation, and investing and planning since 2006, and it may be the most unusual new retirement law. And Dr. Aronson and everybody else listen to why. Everything has been ratcheted up. Uh, The amount that you can put in after a certain age used to be zero after you reached age 70 and a half. Today you can make contributions under that new law once it finally passes up to age 72 or 75. It is the biggest recognition that people are working longer, living longer, and needing more money for an active lifestyle. So once the government says acknowledges something, that aging may not start until 72 to 75, we really are seeing a paradigm shift. And this is something you've been thinking about a lot in calling the book Elderhood. So, so let's discuss more about this generational aspect that you were interested in telling everyone about. 
Right. So we often use the word old for just the few years before someone dies. Like people think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not old until I'm really frail. But but actually, if people are watching several people walk down the street, anybody who's over about 60 or 70, they will identify as old. So we need to close that gap because now actually old doesn't mean what it used to mean, right? Or or what we use it to mean of that that little narrow window before we die. Not that that period of life doesn't also need attention and empathy and, and all those things. But now elderhood is like adulthood and childhood. It's make up, made up of lots of different generations um, that, you know, because some people are, are old technically for 20, 30, 40 years, sometimes within families. We're just starting to see this in geriatrics where we have two patients in the same family because one is in his or her 90s, usually hers, and the other one is in their 60s, 70s, or 80s. Um, it's also related to how we live. You know, the longevity dividend has really paid out in the older years. And most people don't realize this, but adolescence, which we're also used to talking about and thinking about, didn't really happen until after child labor laws and the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s. That's pretty recent. I mean, yes, it's almost, you know, it's 150 years. But now we've got this other new phase that is defining itself. So people in their 70s are the fastest growing segment of the American workforce. And that's only counting a certain kind of paid jobs. If you actually, you know, counted all the people volunteering or helping with their families or doing all sorts of other things, the numbers would be astronomical. Yeah, caregivers. And we don't count any of that in those numbers. So if it's already the biggest segment, I mean, just imagine if you actually counted all the work people are doing and all the ways in which they're living and aging, which is such a varied time of life. Um, I'll just add one, one more thing about that, you know, sort of, um, so, so elderhood I think like childhood and adulthood, we need to acknowledge its subphase phases and substages. And also whenever we invoke, you know, oh, we're doing this for kids and this for adults, um, people as they age often want to be referred to as older adults um, so that they can still get the cachet and the power of being an adult. But in doing so, it's, it's sort of self-defeating. You self-undermine because if people are looking at you as old and you're calling yourself older adult, then you've already sort of failed their adult standard. Whereas if you say, I'm an elder, I'm in elderhood, and you own that, then that becomes the point of pride it should be because these are hugely, you know, people are hugely accomplished. They're, they're working, they're living fulfilled lives. And in fact, all the stuff that people in adulthood complain about, I don't have time for this and I need to do that and whatever, yeah. older people have more time. And, and consequently, when you study this, they are happier than younger people. So we really need to give elderhood um, the same stage we give childhood and adulthood in our policies, in how we build restaurants and buildings and healthcare in every part of life. If you talk about kids and adults, add elders. And you know, it's, it's so interesting because boomers have are becoming elders. I'm what they call the leading age boomer or the leading age boomer because I was born, uh, boomers are a, a cohort that's 18 years apart. Uh, as you know, yes, I'm the uh, tail. Yeah, you're the tail. You're the young boomer. I'm the old boomer, and it's very different. It's 18 <laughs> years difference. I could be your mom if I if I had you when I was uh, uh, young. So it's very yeah. different. And boomers uh, are going to flub it in this way, even even us, because we love to be busy, and all the business mm-hmm. of our other generation having more time and leisure 
we're throwing out the window. We are working longer. That's why the new tax law is bringing up uh, retirement age to 72 to 75 instead of the old 65. Uh, We are always busy. If you ask us what we're doing in retirement, we say, oh, my God, when did I have time to work? I'm so busy. So I will tell you that the slowing down, the smelling the roses of aging is changing with the baby boomers' attitude that has never changed of still wanting to change the world. So we have a a wonderful new opportunity to have more years to fulfill the promise that our generation had in the beginning. And that lights us up. And that's why elderhood is such a great word, because if you think about it, uh, there was elder councils. There were tribal elders. If you look uh, in any kind of a community uh, that really got built, you would see, well, what do the elders say? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now we have right. something like that through your book, Elderhood. I, I, I really like that. You're absolutely right. All the studies show happiness increases. A little thing that I wrote, not a book, but an article is, are you too young to be happy? Because when I mm-hmm. read all those studies, I, love that I title. Saw how, yeah, it was clear that there is a curve mm-hmm. at which point you are happy. And the interesting part, and we're going to talk about that when we come back now, is this. Some of that happiness does have to do with health care and the way you take care of yourself. And that happiness does start to diminish in older, old age if yes. health diminishes. So I want to talk a little bit mm-hmm. when we come back. You, may you as a doctor, as one of the few geriatricians of the country, there are many. What you think, what you recommend, and what folks are really doing to make healthier at this age so that they can reach elderhood. We'll be right back. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, because I am happy. And hello, 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 and this is one of those days that I am thrilled that we do this show. I am here with Dr. Um, uh, Lois Aronson, who is, Louise Aronson, who is a, uh, not only a doctor, not only a writer, right, but a really important, you know, this is an overword, overused word, influencer and thought leader in the field of aging. And uh, she's showing all of those skills all at the same time with her latest book, Elderhood, Hot Off the Presses, available to you at bookstores, Amazon, all the online places. And, of course, it's something that you have to read because if you're interested enough to be listening to a syndicated show on aging, then this is really your next step. This is the book that you should be reading, and it's called Elderhood. Uh, I wanted to uh, go back, uh, Dr. Aronson, to one of the many credentials you have, and that is you are a geriatrician. I'm not sure that everybody knows what a geriatrician is. I think you should tell them that. And there are very, very few. I I read several years ago that there was only 6,000. Apparently, nothing's changed 
in an, in in a world where the fastest growing demographic are older adults. So what's this all about? <laughs> um, it's a very good question, and one I'm hoping uh, the book will uh, help change. But anyway, um, first, what is a geriatrician? So it may remind people of another word, which is pediatrician, and it was actually intentionally coined in 1909 in New York um, by a doctor to be the specialists who take care of older people in the same way that pediatricians take care of children. Um, so that's where the name comes from. So pediatrics, pediatrician, geriatrics, geriatrician. Um, to become a geriatrician, you have to start by training in adult medicine, either internal medicine or family medicine, and then you do extra years of training to specialize in the care of people uh, as they move beyond about age 60 or 70 and then through the generations of old age. Um, so there aren't very many of us. It's true. There are fewer than 7,000 in the United States. And just to give you a, a sort of comparison, um, there are more children than older adults currently, um, you know, about 23% of the population, older adults, maybe 15 or 16% of the population. But if you look at actual healthcare use, um, and this is, you know, good in some ways, kids maybe are 6% of hospital stays and older adults are anywhere between 40 and 50%. And it's even more disproportionate for outpatient care or use of medications. So you would think there would be a whole lot more geriatricians than pediatricians, right? But instead, if you look at the pediatrics organization, they have about 70,000 members, and the geriatrics one has fewer than 7,000. Um, so people are like, how could that be, as you just said? And right. how it can be is that doctors are people, right? And we're all part of this ageist society. So they think, oh, you don't want to be, you know, just, just the way we, as we get older, you know, make jokes about our aging or say, I'm not old, you know, even when right. you're 75 or 80 or 85, you know, they're, they're the same. And so they don't want to necessarily be associated with it. Or sometimes they'll think, well, I don't know what to do for that person. Well, the reason they don't know what to do for that person is because our entire health training system is ageist. So... I just told you how often, you know, older adults interact with healthcare. That won't surprise anyone. Right. But in four years of medical school, for example, you get a few months of pediatrics. You usually, if you're lucky, get a few hours and sometimes these days a few weeks of geriatrics. And the whole rest of the time is focused on adults. So another reason people don't like it is that they don't feel competent because they're not trained to do it. Um, this despite a really great science and the fact that when they actually do um, studies of how happy doctors are with their profession, we always come out on top. So um, I like to think we're an altogether too well-kept secret um, because the variety, you know, we see people across settings, we see people across generations, you know, you deal with all the adult problems and then some of the ones of aging. You can be creative in so many ways. There's cutting-edge science. There's such terrific human interactions. And then one of my favorites, as also a storyteller, is that the longer you've lived, the more great stories you have, and that's just a pleasure. Yeah, so I have to I have to chime in as a uh, as somebody who is a cheerleader for successful aging. Mm -hmm. First of all, there aren't enough okay. geriatricians, and it's dangerous. I'm going to be absolutely blunt about it. I have had many, many people write to me, and, and in fact, my own mom, um, where because the person handling her health care was not a geriatrician, medication was contraindicated for somebody who's older. 
there are different things, in, even in the same medications, that you need to know and do if you're older rather than younger. So I really recommend, if you can get a hold of a geriatrician, that you use one. So that's one. On the other hand, on the cultural side of it, now, I, I'm a big cheerleader for that, but on the cultural side, this is tough love for all of my listeners. Mm-hmm. Stop complaining about your health. When I go to a, uh, a doctor's office, and if they happen to attract the older patient, all I hear about is negative stuff. And then when I go to a restaurant, all I hear from the table next door, I'm a very good eavesdropper, is how is their last procedure, uh, what's up, out for a biopsy. Nobody wants to hear that. That is our fault as a generation. We have fallen in to the idea that we're all patients, and that's all we have to talk about. So if I were a doctor, I also wouldn't want to be around old people, just as my 90-year-old mom said before she uh, she passed away at age 92. But when she was 90, she said, I'm not going to the senior center. I don't like to be around old people. Well, we have to have a different face because, in fact, elderhood, the, the wonderful book by uh, Dr. Aronson, tells us we're actually happier. So why don't we admit it? So let's talk about that. Why is a generation of folks who really are happier for a lot of reasons, and provably so, end up being so negative in the way they look at themselves and the way they express themselves? In fact, it's a hoax, because if we talked about how great we were really feeling, we'd be surprising everyone. I think it's a cultural issue, but I don't know what your take on it uh, on that is. Um, Well, I very much agree with you. So I was actually last Saturday night at a dinner where there were a couple people in their 80s, a couple people in their 70s, a couple people in their 50s, and one person who must have been in her 30s. Um, And so it got around to, you know, somebody had had a hip procedure and something, you know, so, so the, the people in their 70s and 80s were sort of talking about aging and how bad it was. Um, at some point, but right before that, they'd been talking about, you know, their, um, they'd been at, they were in a bocce league and their team was winning. And then two of them, the whole reason the dinner party came about was two had run into each other at their bridge game. And then, you know, the other two were working on a project with, you know, and so it became like, oh, don't grow old. But they were doing all these wonderful things that those of us in our 50s and the one person in the 30s don't have time for. Like, did I exercise every day last week? No, I did not. I didn't have enough time. I was working. I would love to. I would feel better, right? So, But they were just telling the one story and not telling the other story. The other story came out sort of inadvertently as we just discussed what we'd all been up to. But they, they made a point of the bad thing and didn't make a point of the good thing. Um, now, that's not to say bad things don't happen and they aren't hard. And, and to some degree, I think, you know, obviously health um, and health issues figure more prominently in our lives as we grow older. So you could argue that maybe people discuss health more in the way, like if you talk to a kid, what do you talk to them about? Well, how's school? <laughs> you know, because that's what they spend a lot of their time doing. Um, so I don't think it's entirely illegitimate to talk about it. But I think what we have to do is remember that that's not the whole picture and that if that's all we talk about, then that's the only part of the picture people see and then they feel badly about old age. And so then they don't plan for it. And the less you plan for it, the less likely you are to have the old age that you'd like. Um, 
and and we just end up with these sort of distortions of what it's really like instead of really telling all the full stories like here's good and here's bad um I'll just say personally for me, as I entered my fifties and began having some issues, you know, like I had to stop running and my vision isn't what it once was just to say two examples. Uh, and because I deal with our medical students a lot who are mostly people in their twenties, I started making comments about, well, if, you know, if you're my age or when you're old or, you know, something, something. And I realized, my God, what am I doing? And it's just so ingrained in all of us. Um, so I've tried to stop doing that, but I still do it sometimes. But every time I do it, I now make myself make a comment like this, which is also equally true. Yes, I can't run, um, but I actually do all these classes now that um, in which I've made friends, and I've actually never been happier or more confident in my life. And that holds true as people get older, and it's a pretty wonderful thing. Well, I, it is a wonderful thing, and the book Elderhood brings all this to bear and all of this so that we can confront what we're doing right, as you say, there's two stories, what we're doing right and what we are doing that we could do a little bit better uh, than. We come back and talk about more of this and uh, some, uh, I would say the most inspirational story that Dr. Aaron came across in doing and writing her book, Don't You Go Anywhere. I'm inappropriate for my age, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it. And hello, 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 this is Adrienne Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And one of the folks who's telling us the truth uh, is our present guest, Dr. Louise Aronson. And take a look at her website. Uh, and it's it's just her name, L-O-U-I-S-E-A-R-O-N-S-O-N, uh, .com, and you'll be able to see that very clearly because you're going to own her book called Elderhood, Redefining Aging, Transforming Medicine, Reimagining Life. Not much there on that list, right? Uh, and we've been talking about all of these things today, and uh, she told me, she flattered me off the air. She said, I like your song. So I have to remind everybody that if you go to generationboldradio.com, a couple of things. You can listen to the entire song. It's a 10-minute musical about aging. It has characters and everything. I commissioned it from an actual Broadway lyricist. And uh, the other thing that you can do is you can sign up on our player there, and you can have all of our podcasts and broadcasts emailed to you so that uh, you never miss them very simple. Of course, you can turn on your radio because we're a syndicated radio show or you can go to iTunes and so on, but this is even easier. So go to generationboldradio.com, particularly because I'm going to be doing a very specialized podcast on the new uh, legislation that is changing retirement forever and ratcheting up our notion of when we retire up to age 72 to age 75, depending on which bill actually passes. So this is a very big deal. Now, let us go back. Uh, so we have louisearenson.com for those of you who want to read more, some about her other books, and many other important things about elderhood. Uh, so, Dr. Aronson, let, let, let's talk about the issue that we, we started with, which was that we are happier. It shows that we're happier, but sometimes we have to get a grip on the possibility of what might happen after our health care isn't quite 
as good as we hoped it would be. And that, too, just takes the right attitude. Tell us a little bit about that, particularly in the context of being a geriatrician. Right. So um, healthy aging, you can do so much to prolong the phases of activity and feeling good. Um, But eventually, you know, life has a natural cycle. And um, what I like to say is that human mortality is holding steady at 100%. So we're all going to get there. Um, We um, and before that, there are usually, um, you know, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, but more often months or years where we are able to do less. You know, sometimes people think less well if they have one of the dementias. Um, And how they experience this varies widely. And the fact that it varies widely tells us that this isn't about the biology. This isn't about the medicine. It's about your social environment and how you plan for it and approach it. Um, I'm not saying you can prevent that forever or, you know, that, that people should be signing up to have, you know, dementia or frailty necessarily. But it will happen to many of us, uh, frailty far more than dementia. Um, so how do we make that life more meaningful for us, less burdensome to those we love, more financially feasible? And that really has to do with not denying it and just pushing it away. Lately, I have a lot of friends, um, sort of people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, who say their parents who are in their, you know, maybe 80s or 90s are still doing fine and are home and really won't discuss, you know, maybe putting a rail by uh, the shower to get into it or considering any of the other modifications that they can tell are going to be needed in the near future. And what generally happens then is there's a crisis, you know, there's a fall and a fracture. There's, you know, something happens to one person and the other one can't cope. Um, And then suddenly everybody else is swooping in to take control of your life and put you somewhere to deal with you as a problem, less like a human being. And the very best way to avoid that is to think about what you value most in your life, in your home environment, of the people in your life, um, and how you want those to, to shape and change as you change, you know, as you become more frail. Um, what are the things that matter most to you? Are there ways you can modify your home? And this is another sort of anti-ageism moment. I'm just going to do one quick aside, which is that, um, you know, there's all this fancy decor everywhere these days, but when you need sort of assistive um, technologies, you know, like something to hold on to getting in and out of the bath or shower, for example, or a chairlift, those don't look sexy at all. So in one of my talks, I referenced Steve Jobs, who looked at the early computers that were these ugly, huge things and said, why does it have to be so ugly? It doesn't have to be ugly. It can be beautiful and it can be functional in many different ways. So I also think we need to demand that these these devices um, and, and help aids that we need as we get older get cuter looking basically right i mean that's that's yep, just a form of ageism fun. yeah be more it, fun it, be more be playful well, give have, us choices because we're different right we need choices and then it'll be yes okay good some good news on this uh, in uh, there was a conference in chicago it ended on the 12th of june called neocon mm-hmm. and it is mm-hmm. all of the big contract decorators the biggest conference uh, uh, on this, mm-hmm. and these are not people who decorate for your home. They decorate for nursing mm-hmm. homes, for uh, ho- uh, hotels, and so on. And for the first time, they are talking about ha- uh, health care and health care mm-hmm. design, including mm-hmm. for aging place in your residence 
And that's why I'm okay. proud of this show, Dr. Aronson. I, I, as press, mm-hmm. we'll be having some of the best and the brightest designers talking on this show about what's new for the boomer and the older adult and the forever bathroom and robotics. We talk a lot about robots and technical devices. Mm -hmm. That's fun because if you read the Longevity Economy book written by the um, the Coughlin who heads MIT Age Lab, he says one thing. Nothing makes, uh, nobody makes anything for us. That's fun. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful as well as practical. So, boy, are you on target with elderhood. So just to wrap up, if you were going to uh, give your pearls of wisdom, and you you have a lot of wisdom on this, what inspired you the most in a sentence or two? What's inspiring your future when it comes to aging? Oh, I might have to get personal on this one and, and cite my own mother, who is 85, um, and, you know, did – when apparently when she was 60, we were hiking somewhere, and she had trouble getting back, back up the hill. And she'd never been a big exerciser, but she took up exercise. So now she's 85, and she continues to exercise. But it was pretty clear that she wasn't going to be opening jar, jars or walking up hills if she didn't begin. Um, but equally, now she's 85. She's joining the oldest old, and she's having some challenges. But she just sort of says to me very offhandedly, you know, sort of like, oh, well, you know I what? I mean, Wait, although we yeah. have to wrap, we have to say this. She's a role model. We can all be role models. Get out there, yeah. kids, and make it happen. Just like the doctor's mom. Talk to you next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.